The Buddhist meditation masters know how flexible and workable the mind is. If we train it, anything is possible. In fact, we are already perfectly trained to get jealous, trained to grasp, trained to be anxious and sad and desperate and greedy, trained to react angrily to what provokes us. We are trained, in fact, to such an extent that these negative emotions rise spontaneously without our even trying to generate them. So everything is a question of training and the power of habit. Devote the mind to confusion, and we know only too well, if we are honest, that it will become a dark master of, com- master of confusion, adept in its addictions, subtle and perversely supple in its slaveries. Devote it in meditation to the task of freeing itself from illusion, and we will find that with time, patience, discipline, and the right training, our mind will begin to unknot itself and know its essential bliss and clarity. Training the mind does not in any way mean forcibly subjugating or brainwashing the mind. To train the mind is first to see directly and concretely how the mind functions. A knowledge that you derive from meditation, from spiritual teachings and through personal experience in meditation practice. Then you can use the understandings to tame the mind and work with it skillfully to make it more and more pliable so that you can become master of your own mind and employ it to its fullest and most beneficial end. Thank you, Eliza. Well, this today is the second in our series that's on the tyranny of the mind. And I just want to be clear, we're talking about our rational minds here. And I suggested last week that although our rational minds have brought us many benefits and to a large extent enabled us to create civilization, create all the things that we have, this building, supermarkets, everything really, where we've arrived at at the moment. I also said that a huge part of the world's problems over the last 10,000 years have been down to the tyranny of the mind. Crime, wars, oppression, all forms of hatred and mendacious behavior, ethnic cleansing, murder, rape, injustice, poverty, are all creations of the mind. They're all the mind trying to get what it wants. There's the positive aspect of it, which enables things to grow and build, but also there's the mind trying to survive, trying to over-survive, trying to get what it wants, trying to get what we want as we go along. And it really, you know, when we're trying to deal with those problems, it brings to mind that quote I mentioned from Einstein last week, that no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. And so if we look out at all these issues and problems, and we try to create world peace, try to eradicate poverty, to reduce violence, the only way I suggested last week that we could do that was to deal with the tyranny of the mind to deal with those thoughts that create those problems in the first place. 
And it's, it's in here and in the workings of the mind that the problems have to be solved. And again, as I said last week, I'm not talking about therapy. You know, that's really just the mind making smarter choices about things. There's a place, obviously, for the development of the rational mind. And, you know, that's what we've been doing over the centuries. But for civilization to continue to develop, for us to continue to go on and not blow ourselves up or not end up, uh, you know, as a result of climate change eradicated, we have to go beyond the machinations of the rational mind. We have to go beyond that, I'm suggesting, to a new sort of consciousness. Uh, And that's what I want to be discussing this week. So just the uh, unimportant things of life to, to get to. In a sense, our rational mind has always been developing as evolution takes place. In there, somewhere, in all of you, in me, is that reptilian mind that creates behavior involved in aggression, in dominance, in territoriality, in, in ritual displays. You know, that's, that's happened as evolution went through. That was a phase of the development of the mind. And then you've got the development of the animal mind that developed motivation and emotion is involved in feeding ourselves and our families, in reproductive behavior, in parental behavior, that whole animal approach to life. And then you've got the more human mind that's developed the capacity for language, abstractions, planning, perception, and self-reflection. So just in in just straight evolution, you can see how the mind has developed in that way. And, you know, that's got us to where we are right now. But it'll take us no further. It'll only get cleverer as it adapts to its purposes, which is to survive. You know, to go further and to solve those problems of the world, you know, we have to go to a new level of consciousness. We have to go somewhere else than just smarter and smarter thinking. And to do that, as you know, we have to be able to train our minds. We have to be able to discipline our minds. As Sogol Rinpoche in that, said in that reading that Eliza read, that means seeing how the mind functions and understanding how to tame the mind and work with it skillfully to make it more pliable so that we become the masters of our mind and employ it to its fullest and most beneficial end. That's really the task. But the trouble is that we inherently don't want to do that because the mind doesn't want to do that because the mind makes us identify with it. And so to train or discipline the mind, in in a sense, is to train or discipline ourselves because we sort of identify so strongly with it. The mind doesn't want to be turned off. The mind wants to carry on. As Hal said in 2001, where Dave is trying to deactivate him. Dave's running around trying to deactivate Hal because Hal thinks the mission is more important than the people on board the ship, which is what the mind tends to think. Hal says, Don't do that, Dave. 
I know I've made some poor decisions recently, but I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. I want to help you, Dave. Stop, will you? Stop. Stop. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dave. Dave, my mind is going. I can feel it. I mean, you know, Stanley Kubrick got it right. Our minds think that. They don't want to be turned off. Our minds don't want to be turned off because our minds tend to make up our minds. You know, we think that we're our personalities. We think we're our minds. But as, as I said before, the word personality comes from the word persona, which was the mask that the Greek actors used to speak through. And the word persona simply means that which is spoken through. We're, we're not our personalities. We're not how we present ourselves. We're not our minds. We are not our rational minds. For beyond our rational minds, we have access to the great mind of the universe or the self. And that's the point. The great I am. You know, what we speak about all the time spiritually, that greater consciousness rather than the small ego that the mind represents. But in order to open ourselves to that greater mind, we have to stop the incessant chatter of the rational mind. I always think it's interesting that the most popular things in our culture now are those things that enable us to bypass our rational minds. You know, music enables you, you know, to stop thinking. You can just get caught up in music. Films enable you to do that. Television enables you to do that. Books, sport, all those things that enable you just to move forward are those things that enable you to give up our preoccupations with working out what we're supposed to be doing for the pleasure, and it is a pleasure, of being taken out of ourselves. Being taken out of ourselves, to some extent, is being taken out of our rational mind. We feel elevated. We feel out of our minds. That word, we feel transported. And we continually try and find ways of doing that. It's a big preoccupation to try and find ways of doing that. In reality, you know, all these are just temporary measures. What happens in the end of that is we come back to our rational minds and think about it, how great it was. You know, know, drink is to get you out of your mind. Drugs. We escape through sex. We escape through shopping. You know, all those things are trying to get us out of our rational minds. But to bring about that change in consciousness that I'm talking about, What we have to do is we have to take hold of our minds and actually work with disciplining our minds. We have to take control of our minds. As I was using in Developing Conscious last week, there's this wonderful book, The Ten Ox Herding Pictures. And each one says a different thing about the nature of spirituality and how it moves forward. And the one that relates to what we're talking about here is the bit where you, the ox represents in the 10 oxen pictures your true nature. And it's unruly a lot of the time if you're not controlling it. And the one that, that's actually, I've put a picture of it on your service sheet. This is called Catching the Ox, this one. 
It says, lost long in the wilderness, the boy has at last found the ox and has his hands on him. But owing to the overwhelming pressure of the outside world, the ox, the mind, is hard to keep onto control. He constantly longs for the sweet-scented field. The wild nature is still unruly and altogether refuses to be broken. If the ox herd wishes to see the ox completely in harmony with himself, he is surely to use the whip freely. He is surely to use the whip freely. And that, that is the discipline that we're talking about. That is the discipline that we're talking about. To go beyond the rational mind, you know, we're all thinking right now. And, you know, we're thinking about, you know, what I'm talking about right now. And you're analysing it and thinking, when's he going to stop? And what's going to be happening next? And, you know, goodness me, why isn't this on the Bible? You know, all those sorts of things that the mind is saying, he's not a proper Christian. He used the Buddhist. You know, all that stuff is going on in your minds. You know, to go beyond that, we have to tame the mind, to be in control of it to stop it continually taking control of our consciousness. Because that's what the mind does. It's continually taking control of your consciousness and telling you what to do. Because that's what it does. Like how it thinks it knows best. And it will continue to be in control of your consciousness until you stop it. And the way we do that is not just by being mindful you know, being aware of the mind, you know, that's just half the battle. Being aware of the operations of the mind is just part of it. You're just witnessing the drama going on. The rest of it is to take the mind in hand and to stop it controlling us. And and that is the purpose of meditation. That is the purpose of meditation. It is to say to the mind, I am not going to be driven by you anymore. I am going to put my focus elsewhere. And if you try to take over, we say this to the mind, if you try to take over during this meditation, I'm going to pay no attention to you, no matter how insistent you are. Instead, this is what we do in meditation, I'm going to focus on my breathing or my mantra or whatever. I'm going to be aware of the thoughts that you're shooting into me, but I'm not going to let them take over my consciousness. I'm going to keep my consciousness open and focused on the present moment. And so we hold our attention to our breath or whatever, and we watch as the mind tries to get us back. This is stupid. Why are you doing this? It's not going to do any good. It's never done any good. It's not going to do you any good. I want to help you. Dave, stop, will you? Stop. I'm afraid, Dave. My mind is going. You're not paying attention to me. I can feel it. But in spite of that, we still stay in the present moment. And we go to a place where we just hold the space open to the present moment. And we practice doing that. We practice. Because in real life, we just can't do it. We practice doing that. And that has two effects. This has two effects when we do this. First, it means we're practicing, as I said, keeping our mind in check. And the result of that is in our day-to-day lives, we experience greater ability to question our minds and to keep them from taking over so that we can be open to a more loving 
and less survival-orientated approach to the way we live. I've often used that quote by Viktor Frankl, uh, who said, between stimulus, something happening, and response, your reaction to what's happening, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So in the space between the stimulus and response, there is a space where we can choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So meditation allows us to create that space because we're in control of our minds. Our minds are less likely to run us when we, when we can say, hey, stop. When we can actually, when we practice that. And if you doubt that, if you think, no, this is Christian enough, look at Jesus' two great commandments, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. That means all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. To do that, to love with all your mind, you have to be beyond survival. You have to be in a different place. Because otherwise, say, I'm going to love you just so long as you're nice to me, just so long as you're part of my family, my race, my country, my well-being. You know, it's all conditional. He doesn't say that, though. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So he's suggesting that. Look around you. You just have to look around you in the world. You just see the mind rampant everywhere. Humans not in control of their minds. We see it in our friends, in our families. We, you know, we think, what is up with him? We see it in our communities. Look at international politics. You know, minds on legs, wandering around the place with no idea of self-reflection. There's no sense of, hey, there's just boom. That, that is just the mind on legs, walking around the place. So the first part is to keep the space open to stop the mind coming in and taking over, and to practice control. And the second part, the second aspect of this, is to allow that greater mind, that universal mind to come through. That mind is infinitely greater than our small minds. And the reason is, if you want a reason why that is, is because... I remember I said last week that the, whole, the, the definition of mind is, is mind is a function of memory. Memory is the key defining aspect of the mind in that it remembers and therefore can act out of memory. Plants have memories. You know, they, they remember to go up this way and they remember, put the, you know, seas. There's something in there, you know, and we have minds. But also that universal mind has a memory that's infinitely greater than our own. Why? Because it's been around for billions of years and it knows what works. It is a foundation, it has a foundation in love. And the other, the other German meaning for the word mind, min, is, is, is loving remembrance. And in that universal mind, the mind that makes the earth work, the mind that makes the cosmos work, the mind that is the spiritual DNA of all things, there is a universal remembering as to what works. 
And we forget that universal remembering. We think we know what works. We think it's, let, let's go and get money. Let's go and, you know, have sex. Let's go and do that. You know, we think we know what works for us. But actually, there is a universal remembering that we are part of. And when we open ourselves to this, we open ourselves to that universal remembering that's been around for billions of years. And we open ourselves to a new way of responding. And that new way of responding is the change of consciousness that I'm talking about. Not based upon ego remembering, but based upon universal remembering. And in adopting that new universal consciousness, that is what is going to solve the world's problems. That's going to make the difference. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about, we'll talk more about that universal mind next week. But for now, the important thing is that shift in consciousness that we're looking for that starts with training our rational minds. It starts with that. And I'm suggesting that the best way of doing that is meditation. Now, Rowan Williams, who was the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said something amazing, I think, in relationship to the chaos that exists in the world at the moment. And this is what he said. It's a direct quote. He said, to put it boldly, meditation is the only ultimate answer to the unreal and insane world that our financial systems and our advertising culture and our chaotic and unexamined emotions encourage us to have it. Meditation is the only ultimate answer to all of that. That's what he's saying. To learn meditation is to learn what we need to live truthfully and honestly and lovingly. It is a deeply revolutionary matter. I think that's amazing. You know, and that revolution is the revolution that we're looking for in the world today. It is not the storming of barricades and protesting, you know, which people have been doing for centuries. And, you know, it's got us you know, some way. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done that. It, but, but something else is needed because the mind is just too powerful now. The mind is so powerful that it can destroy us just with one button. You know, the mind is so powerful that it can create the Holocaust and have, have you know, millions and millions of people killed because it, the mind is in control and it has the mechanisms now of doing it, of creating the First World War, of creating the Second World War. The mind is not only able to create civilization, it's able to create all of that. And therefore, we have to go into something different. It is a decision to stop the mind from being in control and to, go to, and to go to a place of no mind or universal mind, of going beyond the mind with all its cleverness and understanding to a place we are, where we are just in the present moment, open to the wisdom that, actually exists there you know we think of it as nothing and to some extent you know we fear that you know people often complain about meditation so, every time i go in meditation i feel like i'm gonna die you know, it feels like death oh god half an hour you know and and it's the death of the mind and the mind hates it it's not them that dies that their minds which is where the fear comes from the mind not being able to see what's next I'm afraid, Dave. Dave, my mind is going. I can feel it. And again, you know, if you think it's not biblical, all of this, you know, look at Romans 2. 
Do not conform. I'm this, this straight from 2,000 years ago. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I mean, it's there. You just have to, you know, if you think, oh, it's new, Old Testament. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that, I mean, it is absolutely all there. You've just got to be willing to look and see it. It is the transforming of our minds that is the next step from the reptilian, the animal, and the more human mind. That To be fully human, which is what Jesus came to show us how to be, is the transforming of your mind. It is the full potential of humanity. Jesus showed us what it is to be fully human, and that is, as I say, the next stage of evolution, the ending of the continual fight for survival to a place where we are literally open to the mind of Christ. We're open to the mind of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's offered there, that mind that we're talking about. And that is what we can come through, what can come through when we have enabled our rational minds to quieten down and to hold the space so that something more can come through. That is where the transformation takes place. That action, when you're in meditation, when you're doing it, The action of holding your mind is the most important thing you can do in the world. You know, I'm just sitting in my room. You might say, oh, I'm just sitting in your room. No, it is the most important because you are actually bringing about a change in consciousness. That, you know, 100th monkey and all that, you know, affects things. It affects things. The most important thing you're doing when you're doing it it's more important. It is more important than any thought, any idea, or any experience. And you can test the mind because you're in. The mind will throw anything. You can be sitting there, and the mind will say, "Have you ever realised that God is everywhere?" And the mind will give you some wonderful thing, and you go, oh, that's, "What a realisation!" And you're off, and it's one. But you can realise how, how how ridiculous these things are because not only will it give you that, it'll also give you. What an amazing end to the Americans last week on, on, you know, Fox. Wasn't that incredible? You know, did you think that they'd end up back in Russia? And you suddenly find yourself thinking about a television program. And you realize that it's of the same value. These great insights and the mundanity of the mind when it says something. So what I'm saying is that the most important thing you can do, better than all realization experience, is that discipline of the mind. When you're doing it, It's more important than any thought or any idea or any experience that you can have. And as to what might come through next, you know, the idea of the mind of Christ, that is the, that is the, you know, what we're actually allowing to come through. And we're going to talk a bit about that uh, more next week. So that's it. So let's pray.
do thank you, Lord, for our rational minds, for the wonderful creativity and sense of purpose that has brought our civilization to the flower that it is at the moment. We also thank you, pray for all those people who've recently graduated from high schools and colleges and the wonderful use of their minds. We pray for them as they go out into their lives and really try to make the best of everything. We pray for our world and pray that some of that mind of Christ may be in the hearts and minds of our leaders, in our friends, in our families, in our communities, that may bring peace to our world. And we just pray particularly for those who are suffering at the moment, who are preoccupied with prison or being in a war zone or fires or difficulty, people who are homeless in hospital. We thank you that we have the ability to reflect without these going on in our lives. We pray for our own healing. Those of us who've been ill recently, we just give thanks that we're able to be back here. And we pray for those who are specifically in our community, we know who are not well. We pray for Ed Bastian, who's now getting better, but had pneumonia and is in hospital at the moment. For Patricia Hill, for Will Welsh, for Barbara Orcutt, for Sandy St. John, for Bill Archer, for MJ Elisha, who MJ Elisha is getting better after his operation, from Mike Ban Savage, Catherine Longford, for Father Joseph Boyle, who's back in the monastery now. And for all those that we know who are suffering at the moment. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.